to Listen to the Earth, the Gone West show. My name is Fiona Bringman. I'm your host, and we are the podcast that plants trees. Today, I'm interviewing Books for Trees, and Books for Trees is an organization that organizes resources that Kenyans use to plant trees in order to operate sustainable businesses and pass on these experiences to future generations. I've got two interviewees today, and one is Isabella Ostaveri, who's in the Office for Books for Trees in Europe, and the other is Evans Adula, who is on the ground at their project Badalisha on Rosinga Island in Kenya. Listen to the Earth, the, earth, the Gone West Show. show. Thank you two both so much for coming on to speak to me. And and yeah, if we can start off, if you could introduce yourselves, I would absolutely love that. What you do for Books for Trees and what, yeah, what Books for Trees does as well. So my name is Isabella Ostovari and uh, I support Books for Trees with uh, strategic decisions for restoration measures. Um yeah, I have studied uh, revitalization and restoration ecology at the University of Life Sciences Vienna. And currently I'm doing my PhD at the ETH Zurich on the impact of climate change on forest trees. And uh, I support mostly the project on Rosinga Island through uh, supporting Badilisha with information and, and, and strategy building. Amazing. And then Evans, um, would you mind introducing yourself also? Yeah, I'm Evans Sudula. Evans Sudula comes from Rusinga Island in Lake Victoria, Kenya. Rusinga Island is one of the many islands of Lake Victoria. And uh, our project, Badilisha, is based on Rusinga Island. And uh, Badilisha is basically a Kiswahili word. Kiswahili is a local dialect, which means change. So the organization was basically created over 10 years ago to try and do a lot of restoration work and promote permaculture activities as well as tree planting in the island. And could you tell me a little bit more about how Books for Trees kind of originated, how this whole project got off the ground in the first place? Uh, yeah, Books for Trees started as a school project between two friends, one of them from Kenya and the other one from Austria. And they got together and were like, hey, let's have an exchange. And from there, it just started growing. And uh, eventually, um, people really, really wanted to make an impact and, and help people have better lives. And yeah, that's, that's the origin of Books for Trees. It's really lovely to have you both here, actually. Isabella, you're in Austria now, I believe. And Evans, you're in Kenya, and it's just like these communities that are so far away, but somehow you've also formed this kind of connection through what you do. So I really like that. And I wanted to, to jump straight in and talk about that. How can you involve the local communities in what you do? And yeah, if you can tell us a little bit and about the community that you have on the island too. Yeah, the the island is... Uh... Is not a very big island. It has a population of less than uh, 40,000 people. The people there depend on fishing as their main economic activity. They, they, although they also do a bit of peasant farming and, and small-scale trading, and um, the island is experiencing high level of poverty. The island is also experiencing high level of natural resource depletion. The island also suffered from HIV AIDS pandemic. Uh, where a lot of things happened 
and most people lost their lives. And then that led to a lot of influx in the number of orphans and vulnerable children and also widows. That is from a socio socioeconomic context. And uh, the island is surrounded by many fishing communities, which are mostly migra migrating from other places. And uh, this has also led to a lot of environmental degradation. So this is where we are coming in as an organization to try and mitigate some of these kind of things that we are observing that are happening. And that is why we coined the word Badilisha. We, we, change, we, we look at the word Badilisha to respond to those changes. So as an organization, which is to enhance change, we are working from a bottom-up approach where we are involving the communities in all our work that we are doing. We have small community subgroups in all our projects that we are doing. Uh, professionally, I'm a social worker. I do community development. Uh, I'm, I'm doing my bachelor's degree in community development. And that has really exposed my view, on, exposed me on how to work with communities. And we are involving communities and vulnerable groups in decision making, like the widows, the women groups, the youths. So we are trying to involve them in decision making, like planning, implementation, financial management. We get feedback from them and we ensure that their ideas and their feedbacks are incorporated in our future activities. So that way we are trying to ensure that the project is really participatory. The project is really participatory and not really uh, from up to bottom. For example, we have tree planting with schools. We have teachers from the schools involved in the decision making. What we can do to improve on the work. We also have permaculture work with farmers. We have committees with farmers. These farmers, their views we take about the, the, the technical ideas they need, some of the materials they need, some of the challenges they have, and then we address them. So if you look at our structure, the management structure, it is quite representative in terms of decision-making and feedback and the flow of information. So that way, I really believe that cooperation and community partnerships is a, is a, is a critical ingredient in, in running successful programs. Thank you. Could you tell me a bit more also about the, the, what you feel the importance of education is? How do you think education can be improved to include more focus on our environment, on our natural world? You know, Fiona, knowledge is power. When you are knowledgeable, you are very powerful because you know what you are doing you know the reason why you are doing those things. And when you educate people, like in Africa, they say when you educate a woman, for example, you have educated the whole village because then the information is disseminated. So by educating people, you are really enlightening people about why certain things should be done and why certain things should be done differently. For example, in Africa, the knowledge about climate change and the impacts of climate change is yet to be really understood by the local people. The information is just plant trees, just do this, but then the people don't really get to know why should we plant trees? What is really this issue of carbon? Having people who are trained, having people who are knowledgeable, 
makes people to understand the reason why they are doing things. For example, in schools, we tell people about use of local resources. For example, manure, farmyard manure, compost manure. We do it practically so that they see that it is better to feed the soil and to, to feed the plant. When I say we feed the soil, it means you are just getting farmyard manure, you are getting compost manure, and you feed the soil. And then the soil later feeds the plant. So that way we train people, and once they know it, they can they demonst you demonstrate, they, they see it, they believe it, and they continue to do it, and they share it with the community. So the information is disseminated. I, I call it the, the snowballing effect. It, 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 it goes to other people. When you, for example, teach schools about food forest, how to create a food forest, the layers of a food forest, this information goes to them, and you go to the homes, you find the children setting up small food forests in their homes. So that is that is the power of knowledge. That is the power of education. You do practical things. You you do demonstrate. And that it, it is not just for the people you have trained, but the information goes out there. Because there are people, when they see something, they believe it. And that way, I believe that a knowledge is a really powerful tool in, in changing people's mind. Thank you. I really also think it's important what you were talking about this conversation, you know, that we we share our knowledge. It again comes back to this community that it's not just one person saying, okay, this, this and this, but that we bring together lots of people who have worked land and then we have a conversation, as you say, why are we doing this? How are we doing this? What's the best way? So that's really beautiful. And I think that's something also that your company kind of embodies right Isabella you were telling me before about the the conversations that you have with each other have you been over to the island yourself uh yeah I have been several times to the island I mean I try not to go so much because I mean first of all it takes time but the more important issue is that every time I go there is a huge amount of CO2 blown into the atmosphere and also I think that restoration should be done and led by the people who are living where the land is restored so I'm really only an external person to I mean sometimes sometimes take a more systematic view of this whole process but I'm not I'm not involved in implementing the measures. I'm not the one benefiting from the measures. And I am not the person suffering from measures that were taken that were not correct. Um, so I, my, I myself, I have to be really careful where I step in here. And I also really want to make sure that Evans is perceived as a professional person in the community because there are many uphill battles on this frontier. And one of them is also colonialism. So I notice if I get too involved with the community or with farmers, that would take away from Evans as a professional, which I don't want. So what I try is to work mostly with Evans and try to share my experience with him and broaden his view of things that he might not have seen yet, because there's so many different parts of the world. And I mean, even some nature conservation concepts that are done in Europe and are now fairly established, they come from other parts of the world. So this is where we're coming, where both of us are coming together professionally. Me with a different set of experiences and him with a different set of experiences. And then together we can, uh, we can create something new that is beneficial. Absolutely. And I think that's part of the whole, um, 
this whole kind of globalization movement anyway is that we can connect it's another way of connecting knowledge no that we can we can say ah oh, well, this works here and this works here but let's let's see how we can converse and share ideas yeah exactly we we just go and see and and we share ideas and Evans would know anyway if things I suggest don't wouldn't work and I wouldn't know but I have a lot of things to share so just talk about them and and then we figure it out from there yeah what kind of can can you share a little bit more about some of the um ecosystem restoration ideas that you have and the the logical side of um of what kind of practices you can put in place to restore systems there so a huge moment of realization that Evans and me had it was I think it was even the first time I was on Rosinga Island about seven years ago or something like that and we were on the hill that we are now restoring since then and we were talking about the past of the island and, and suddenly previous programs came up and I was like yeah but tree planting has been a thing for a really long time has it never happened on Rosinga and then Evans told me like, yeah, actually his father in the 80s, he had a tree planting program in schools, just, just like what we were thinking about building up. And, and then I wondered like, yeah, but if there was a tree planting education program in the 80s, why are there so few trees here? And then he said, yeah, it's, it's because the people who were, who were in those programs, those children, they are now planting trees, but not on the commons that are important for everybody and that still everybody's using but on their private land. So there's, there are trees on the private land, but not on the common land. And, and that's where we both realized, wow, we, we need to take a different approach at this. And some other things, for example, that, uh, that we're doing now that is fairly different from what we have thought before that would, we would ever be doing is that now we're as also a project that is funded by Gone West, we're doing grazing interviews with the local community. So we realized we don't even know what people in, or what many different people in the community think about how grazing works, how many animals they have and why they make the decisions they make. And I mean, we have some ideas, but it's always just assumptions. So what we're doing is we're conducting structured qualitative interviews, asking people, how many animals do you have? Why do you graze them at this time of the year in this location? How do you know when to graze them at the different location? And why would you make the decision, for example, to give your animals to a herder? Would you be willing to pay some money for that? Stuff like that. So we can have an informed uh, decision on, on where to take this whole management of the, of the restoration area. And another thing that we're also trying is to like get farmers inspired to to create a buffer zone around the forest on the top of the hill because right now it's uh, it's not buffered so that means there's a lot of infringement on those forest edges decreasing the effective forested area on the island to have a buffer it would really help the whole forest. So meaning there's a, a small strip of land around it where some activity can happen, but it's also restored. So there's not such a sharp border. And we're thinking about doing a workshop with people owning land in some locations that are key to the restoration. So we can figure out what would get them to pull towards restoration instead of simply tell them that it would be good to do restoration. That's just not enough. 
I really like that because again, it kind of links back to this um, this education thing where it's not just that you tell people what you've learned, but you're constantly collecting information. You're constantly asking questions of the community and of the landscape. Um, and of course, it's all very individual, no? Like every, even here in Portugal where I am, sometimes I'm planting trees and I noticed that even one kilometer away from one plot to another plot of land, the soil is so, so different. So I can only imagine trying to kind of put into practice these universal kind of permaculture restoration principles, but feeling also that you have to very much work with the landscape that you're on. And I wanted to ask you, Evans, um, about the landscape in on the island as well. Um, and what kind of risks of ecological destruction you also see specifically in your area? Yeah, we we have uh, erosion, for example. You know, due to human human activities, for example, the hilltop where we are trying to restore, there is a lot of erosion that has really affected the land, and the land is exposed, and all the soil is being washed to the lake. We are trying to plant, do, do check dams with the local stones that are trying to stop the erosion. And we are planting aloe vera and sisal to help hold the soil because the soil is further washed to the lake, causing siltation and affecting the lake ecosystem. And finally, affecting fish breeding sites and eventually affecting the fish stocks. So you can see the chain, the, how the chain of that problem is going. So erosion is one of the problems. The other, the other issue that is overgrazing. You can recall Isabella is talking about the interviews with the, with the farmers and people about how the best they can manage their animals. So grazing, overgrazing is really an issue that is an issue that we have to deal with. The other one is a natural resource depletion, especially cutting down on the indigenous tree species. You know, there are tree species which are really having their numbers going down due to overconsumption. For example, Olea africana is a tree that has good firewood. It has good, it is good for making tools. So it's a tree in demand. So this tree in demand, you will always find the numbers dwindling. You will find the numbers going down because of the importance of the tree. There is also the issue of wildlife. You know, when, when the vegetation is, is, is less, wildlife become exposed and eventually the numbers also go down. So those are basically some of the main, the main, the main ecological challenges that we are facing. So you face also um, extinction of plant species and tree species. What, what kind of trees do you predominantly plant on the island? Uh, going with the permaculture principles, we have trees serving many functions. We have, for example, Moringa. You know, Moringa is a, is a, is a tree in itself. It's good for the soil. It is a herb. It's a vegetation. It's a vegetable. It is also, the seeds are also good for purifying water. So we are also going with trees that can serve many functions. Uh, Lucena is fodder. So we, we plant Lucena. We plant exotic, both exotic and indigenous. But we ensure that they serve many functions, but they are also tolerant to the soils. They are tolerant to the weather here so that we reduce mortalities. We, here we have, I, I don't think you are, I am not sure if you are conversant with them, but we plant cashorina, we plant the acacias, we plant the albizias, we plant different species. But now with our experience, 
our, we, after having worked for some time, now we know the trees which survive. So you realize that some of the acacias can do well there. We try to, to test if they can work here. So basically, we, drag, we work with trees that can work here. Mm, and you mentioned also about uh, food forests and education around food forests earlier. Is this something that you also do on the island? Yeah, we do demonstration. You know, as a center, you know, permaculture, Abadilisha as a center is focusing on demonstration, is focusing on education. And we have a resource center with books on different topics. For example, permaculture, agroforestry, aquaculture. So in our center, we are demonstrating on a food forest. That is actually one of the elements that we took so that we could show people how what happens in a natural ecosystem or a natural ecotheater can be mimicked and used at homes or in your farm to produce food. So we demonstrate on the layers of the forest in our center, we have different fruits there. And the farmers have copied. We have some farmers who are very successful with, with the food forest in their farms. So this is a really a typical example of how demonstration and education is a powerful tool in changing people's mentality, mentalities and way of thinking. Could you also tell me about some specific practices and permaculture principles that you're able to adopt on the landscape that you work on? Yeah, we, we, for example, we are using the word start small, starting small, small and slow solutions. You know, we are working with very poor communities with very little resources. And we always encourage them to start small. Starting small means that they can just establish a small food orchard just behind their house. And then they depend on the local solutions, the small and slow solutions, where they, for example, in pest control, they can focus on, 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 on the local solutions, like integrated pest management systems, where they, they do, for example, do uh, mixed farming, where they incorporate different crops, where they can use local solutions from the leaves of plants to, to control pests. So that is those are some of the permaculture principles we are using. And also one element serving many functions where we tell them about planting different trees in their farm, which serves many purposes. And then we are also incorporating the idea of integration and not segregation, where we are telling them like, you can have a farm where you can also do other things. You cannot just, for example, do monoculture. We tell them to do mixed farming. They can do mixed farming and do other things in, also in the farm as a way of enhancing their livelihoods. And uh, also we tell them to focus on the farm being a source of food, the farm being a source of medicine, the farm being a source of other things, including a place for relaxation. You know, the garden should not just be a place for producing food. So we tell them that the garden can serve many functions. So those are some of the permaculture principles I think we have incorporated. Thank you for sharing. Have you noticed as well in your years working on the land, have you noticed a change in climate? There's a lot of talks about microclimates now. And as we put, as we plant more trees and create more um, pockets of diverse forest, we're actually able to, um, yeah, fight desertification, but also create more um, kind of well-rounded climates, if that makes sense. 
yeah, climate change, uh, I have observed different, a lot of changes in our climates. For example, in Rusenga Island, we have the seasonal calendar changing where, you know, in traditionally we had our own ways of telling when the rains were going to come. And they were going to come on certain dates and the communities were really aware that on these dates, between this date and date, is the planting time. So people were very sure and they were getting ready, they were preparing land and they were getting ready for these big events. But nowadays the, the whole thing has become unpredictable where the communities, people plant in different stages. You find some people planting, some people still waiting. Maybe they are not sure if this is the real rain. So the climate change has really affected them. And also the, the, it is not enough also. It rained for a very short time and then it disappears. And then there's constant crop failure. So you find the rains going only for maybe one month or two months and then it disappears. Or you find the rain coming at a different time of the year when the people are not ready to plant. So the rain goes wasted because the people are not prepared to plant. So I've observed that climate change is a real issue and it has really affected our people in terms of crop preparation and food production. And I think it also strongly impacts ecosystem restoration because, I mean, we try to to mostly do natural assisted re uh, regeneration, but sometimes you still need to, that means you sometimes still need to plant trees, but it's really hard to plant those trees if there are no long-term rains for, I think now it has been almost four years and it's really halting other, uh, other restoration measures as well. Can you tell me also a little bit more about the name Books for Trees? So what's your what's the link with books aside from educating? Uh, yeah, it goes back, back to the beginnings of Books for Trees where, um, to this friendship between those two guys. The friend in Kenya was like, we actually need some school books. And the other one, the other friend was like, okay, then let's provide some books if the schools plant trees. And that's how this whole exchange started and and from there it grew but to this day it's called books for trees even though now we do many other things as well really nice i like it because your focus is still on education on planting on learning what kind of growth and possibilities are on the horizon for books for trees so you've mentioned how it started from this kind of very simple exchange and you've mentioned a little bit about how it's grown in terms of your collaborations with with ourselves with gone west and also with other partnerships but how do you see it expanding um i think at this period in time books for trees is really settling into what we're already doing and and getting better at this and not opening so many new avenues anymore which is great because it means we're working more efficiently. And in the future, that means that, for example, we can also upscale things that we're now doing on Rosinga Island. And last time I was in Kenya, I think it was um, two years ago or so, we actually went to another watershed close by called Gembe Hills that is just a few kilometers from Rosinga Island. And we talked about going there in the future and do some upscaling with all the experiences that Evans has now and with all the capabilities of his team and, and also their experiences, how we can expand Rosinga Island. Because even now, Evans is receiving a lot of visitors wanting to learn from him about how he continually keeps up good restoration efforts and also achieves results. So in the future, Books for Trees would also 
um, be involved in that. And what's really interesting is that it, even though it's just a few kilometers away, that will bring again new challenges. And there's also one demonstration farm uh, a little bit further from Badilisha, but in the same region. And, and this farm will probably expand their educational projects and the opportunities for community members to get involved and to receive more services and different advice in more different areas of farming. Like, for example, now it's mostly about farming techniques, but in the future, it would be really cool to also talk about value addition techniques because uh, the value of, for a farmer, if you sell your produce instead of consuming it yourself, the value doesn't come from selling the, the carrot or the tomato or the meat. It comes from processing it into something. And then you can actually make some money that then can go to the school funds for your kids. I was wondering, Evans, also about you were talking about the knowledge that you're sharing. Where did you learn most of your knowledge? Is that kind of through doing or I know you're also doing your bachelor's, but yeah, how, how much is practical and how much is theoretical? Yeah, you know, learning is by doing. You know, my father, my father was a, a restoration. He was a guy who was a tree planter. He, he spent a lot of his time being a teacher. He spent a lot of his time as a teacher, but he also had a lot of passion for tree planting and permaculture. So that is where I got the the training. And mo most of it, I've also learned it online. And Isabella is my is one of my my teachers also. She subjects me to a lot of really some technical things. I call myself a barefoot ecologist because uh, okay, I don't really have a proper training on, on ecology, but I have a vast knowledge in, in, in restoration now. So basically my knowledge, my source of knowledge has been through friends like Isabella and partners. Books for Trees organize a lot of trainings for us with different partners. For example, Kenya Forest Service, Kefri, they give us seeds. They tell us about seed preservation, how to collect the seeds, how to manage the seeds, how to preserve different types of seeds. I also work with permaculture organizations. We, we organize permaculture trainings here. So we have different partners we are bringing on board who have knowledgeable, who are knowledgeable on different fields. I also have a lot of other members of my team who are really knowledgeable on different things. And especially youth, like Isabella can confirm this. I work with so many youth whom I assign different tasks because I cannot work, I cannot do it alone. I also depend on other people. But I'm actually the key person where I get the knowledge. I train the others, I disseminate it, I give it out. So they're also knowledgeable on trees. When, for example, when there's a training in the community, I don't have to go in person. I just assign one or two people to go and do it. And I'm sure they are doing the right things because I get feedback about what they have done. Your father being a teacher and a tree planter, I really love that because now you've also embodied this, uh, taken on this role. Um, and then to have this kind of exchange of information again where... Yeah, young people are coming in and bringing new ideas, but also learning from these from these tried and tested ways. So that's really nice. Um, yeah, we're kind of coming towards the end now already. Time always flies. But I wanted to finish off the interview by asking you both a couple of quick fire questions. So we do this every month. And the aim is to answer with just one word each. Can be challenging, but also interesting to see what comes up. So the first question, how do you feel when you spend time in a forest or with trees? Uh, curious. I feel rejuvenated. Rejuvenated. 
Okay. And the next question is, how can we bring more eco-awareness and harmony with the natural world into the way that we educate people? Um, that would be think wider. Mine would be through networking. Networking and collaboration. Thank you. And then the last one is, how can we live a life that is more in harmony with the land? We should do things that work with the nature and not against it. I can say there's need for system change. System changes. A lot of systems, I think, should change, yeah. Yeah, I think this is a question I cannot really answer with, with one word. There are so many aspects to this. Like, I'm thinking, wow, farmers are under so much pressure, for example, and to live in harmony with the land, you need farmers because they are interacting with it on a daily basis. And, and people who are not farmers, they're just recipients of what farmers are doing. So, yeah, to sum it up in one word, maybe, or in one sentence at least, to live more in harmony with the land, you need to adapt to climate change. Thank you. Thank you. I know it's a difficult question to answer in one word, but I love to kind of unpack the complexities of it and then come back into the simplicity. So adapt, I guess, would be your word. Yeah, absolutely. It would be adapt. I think the approach to fighting climate change should be multifaceted in that there should be assisted natural regeneration where important ecosystem areas should be given time to regenerate and uh, to try and also help to manage. For example, in Rusinga, we focus on, on the restoring of the hills, but also we are also focusing on the planting of trees. So there's really a lot of different approaches into fighting climate change. But sometimes people are focusing more on tree planting, which is also okay. But we should focus on tree planting as well as uh, this kind of natural regeneration. Because natural regeneration, I realized from my work with Isabella that there are not so many mortalities. Once the trees become mature and they produce their seeds, you find that the new, the new wildlings that come up there they just grow on their own and you record less mortalities as opposed to when you're planting. Okay, you plant, for example, we plant here and sometimes you record mortalities. So we should combine both so that we achieve much. Absolutely, yeah. And kind of also re adopting rewilding principles rather than bringing in uh, kind of our production mindset because tree planting can become also about, you know, how many trees can you plant as quickly as possible. But actually it's holistic. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's, it can be like, oh, we planted, I don't know, 20,000 trees. And recently in the past few years, there have been so many um, government projects been popping up where it's just about planting, planting as many trees as possible. And then a few years later, you realize most of those trees actually died and nothing comes from that. If we wouldn't plant a single tree anymore, we would still get ahead with landscape restoration and carbon sequestration. The only thing we would need for that is to protect what we already have. And especially in, in dryland Africa, where Evans is living, that's an issue to protect what's, what's still there. Okay, thank you both so much. It's been really lovely to hear more about what Books for Trees does and the kind of collaborations that you're doing. And yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. What I really enjoyed about this interview was the discussion of the importance of education and working together in sharing learned methods to work on the land. 
and also the importance of and value of small-scale projects that grow and expand as the community come together in supporting one another. If you want to find out more about Books for Trees or to get in touch, you can do so online at booksfortrees.at. You've been listening to the Listen to the Earth podcast. We are Gone West. And as a tree planting company, we are always interested ourselves in collaborating with tree planting and restoration projects around the world. Thank you so much for tuning in. Listen to the Earth. The Gone West Show.